When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Meet Gary. Gary's about to become an Einstein in an instant. Whoa, Einstein hair. I like it. That's right, Gary. Because you're using Salesforce powered by Einstein AI to connect data, predict business trends, generate personalized content, and wow customers. I do feel a lot smarter. Because you're not just Gary anymore. You're Gary, empowered by Einstein AI. Did you hear that, team? I'm an Einstein. Oh, can I get a selfie? The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. I'm a little bit unimpressed of the discipline and the training level of the Russian forces. As bad and as horrific as this is, we want to make sure that we do not see an escalation. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. My sense is that commodity prices will remain very high, elevated, certainly over the next few months, probably the first half of the year. You Republicans want to give Democrats a victory on getting tough with China. On a political basis, the answer is no. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. The Russian assault on Ukraine intensifies as Washington debates jets and oil. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics with the latest on the war and the controversial transfer of fighter jets from Poland to Ukraine. We'll be joined in just a moment by Congressman Raj Krishnamurthy, Democrat from Illinois and a member of the Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence. We'll also have the latest for us on whether we'll have a budget before the lights go out Friday night. Later, we focus on oil in a conversation with Louisiana Senator Bill Cassidy who's now calling for Operation Warp Speed for U.S. Energy, as he calls it, even as the Biden administration encourages more domestic drilling. We'll look at the hurdles they face. Our panel, Bloomberg Politics contributor, Republican strategist Rick Davis, along with Joel Rubin, former Deputy Assistant Secretary of State, who served in the Bush and Obama administrations. While Ukraine's openness to a diplomatic solution was presented today, reported exclusively here on Bloomberg, it helped to lift the markets, but the news is no better As we take air this evening, Russian shelling of major cities continues. Ukrainian officials continue to report civilian casualties, even as evacuations continue, or at least attempted evacuations. Vice President Kamala Harris wheels up this morning on the way to Warsaw to meet with Polish leaders just a day after Poland offered to transfer MiG-29 fighter jets to Ukraine. These are supersonic jets. Similar to American-made F-15s, as we told you, Poland rolled out a plan to send them to Ramstein Air Force Base in Germany. This is sound of one taken off from where the U.S., under this plan, would then transfer them to Ukraine. About 15 minutes after yesterday's program, the Pentagon issued a statement saying, no, too complex. I believe untenable was the word from John Kirby, could be interpreted as an act of war. A sentiment that was echoed today by Secretary of State Antony Blinken. Fighter jets at the disposal of the United States government, um, departing from a U.S. NATO base in Germany to fly into airspace contested with Russia uh, over Ukraine, raises some serious concerns 
for the entire NATO alliance. That message reinforced today in the briefing room by White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki. A proposal from yesterday that fighter jets manned by Americans departing a NATO base to fly into airspace contested, contested with Russia raises serious concerns for the United States and NATO. So the logistical questions here, just to put a little fine point on it, are things like how do you get planes into Ukraine in a way that is not escalatory? Um, and what are the logistics and operational details of that? Uh, those are conversations are happening between uh, counterparts uh, at the military level, and I would expect any update might come from them. So ask the Pentagon. Now, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy got into this in his weekly briefing today. He says the administration's wasting time. I think they're wrong. I think the, the longer they take, more people will die. Um, I don't understand if you can supply them with a javelin and Poland wants to give them MiGs and they want to defend themselves, why won't you allow somebody to defend themselves? Especially when they believe in freedom. Especially this was unprovoked. Putin is evil and what he's doing to these people is devastating. It's not just America glued to the set. The world is watching this. They're asking to defend themselves. And many Democrats agree. Illinois Congressman Raj Krishnamoorthy co-signed a bipartisan letter calling on the president to continue working with NATO to get these jets to Ukraine. And he's with us right now. Congressman, I know you serve on the Intelligence Committee, so your view is more informed than most people having this debate. Welcome to the broadcast. Is it possible to provide these jets without Russia seeing it as an escalation? They're going to see anything that we do as an escalation, Joe. I think the fact of the matter is we can't let Putin decide what we're going to do to help our friends defend their freedom. And so when uh, President Zelensky asked us in a Zoom call about a week ago week, week ago, uh, to either uh, enforce a no-fly zone or give him the means to do so, I think we should do whatever we can. And, and in this case, I think we have to furnish him with the means to do so and work with the Poles and others mm-hmm. to make it happen. What do you say to those, to those who are concerned about, let's say, Russia attacks our supply lines uh, being used to refuel or, or rearm those jets? Or where would we fly them from? How would this actually operate? Have you kind of worked that out in your head in a way that would not put the U.S. in direct engagement with the Russians? Look, we got some extremely capable and intelligent logistics officers in the U.S. military uh, who are working with their Polish counterparts, I hope, right now. And I, I think they, they are trying to figure out how to do this in, in the most expeditious way. Um, but the main point is we got to get it in there quick because, as you can tell, um, corridors to these various cities are starting to get closed off. Yeah. Um, yesterday when I asked General Barrier, who, by the way, is, is very capably leading the Defense Intelligence Agency, the question of how long can the people of Kiev hold out, he said uh, 10 days to two weeks. That's the amount of food and water they've got. And so that's why we need to, you know, make sure that the Russians uh, can't, um, you know, disrupt our convoys by taking to the skies and and basically destroying any attempts to to resupply uh, and and, uh, enable the Ukrainians to defend themselves. Well, that was a deeply uh, disturbing, to be honest, hearing uh, yesterday. It's something we discussed here on Sound On. With all of this in mind, I know you're working up a package. It's doubled in size in the last two weeks since the administration first requested aid for Ukraine. It's tied to a budget that, of course, uh, needs to fund the government. And I understand that talks have broken down a bit over COVID money and so forth. Is that Ukraine money, for instance, uh, and specifically going to be passed this week, Congressman? Uh, 
Yes, um, I see that happening uh, today. And I think that, um, you know, it's not a, a day too soon at this point. Uh, not only that, but we're going to see uh, an appropriations package uh, pass for the first time in a very long time around here. Uh, I'm disappointed about the COVID funding and the global uh, vaccination funding that I'm helping to spearhead, but uh, we're working on a separate vehicle for that. But in any case, um, the Ukraine funding has the support of Democrats and Republicans. I think there's a real unity of spirit here. How about funding the government? Uh, do you see that being a continuing resolution until the details are hammered out? No, uh, I think it'll, it'll actually get passed as a, a proper appropriations package for once. Uh, I don't think we're going to go into con- I'm hoping we don't get into continuing resolution land. Uh, but I think that we have to get it done before Friday, uh, March 11th. And that is the plan right now. Spending some time on Bloomberg Sound on with the congressman from Illinois, Congressman Raj Krishnamoorthy, who, as I mentioned, signed the letter calling on the president to work with NATO on the jets. But you've also been, uh, of course, hearing briefings on a regular basis, Congressman. And that's why I wanted to get into yeah. that issue and some of the others with you. As, as Vice President Harris is on the ground uh, starting meetings in Warsaw, what are you hearing, at least that you can share with us as a committee member, about the state of this war in Ukraine. We've heard so much about Ukrainian resistance, but the Russians are doubling down. They're actually apparently going after full-blown civilian targets. According to the Ukrainians, a maternity ward today was hit. How long can cities like Kyiv hold on? Well, first of all, we have to condemn in the strongest terms as war crimes, these insidious, barbaric attacks on civilian targets, such as this maternity hospital in Mariupol. Um, Second, The Ukrainians are mounting an incredible resistance, Joe. I don't think that the Russians anticipated in the least the courage and fearlessness of these Ukrainian fighters uh, and and members of the armed forces. Um, I think the best case scenario right now, given that the Russians are doubling and tripling down, is uh, uh, to basically uh, help the Ukrainians um, fend off the Russians in these four or five major cities. Uh, make sure that they don't uh, get encircled um, and then, um, you know, bring them to a stalemate on the battlefield. Um, And I think that that's what's happening. I have introduced legislation with my Republican counterpart, Mike Turner, the ranking Republican, to also prepare for another possibility, which is if the Russians do overrun the country, they're going to meet with a ferocious insurgency and resistance. And we should prepare right now to supply that resistance and that insurgency so that it's successful. Okay. I am convinced that they will be. Will that, would that include uh, some, some higher range ground to air missiles that might help them protect against an air invasion? I think that uh, we should do that now. And I think the DOD is actually looking at doing that right yeah. now. Well, to that um, end, we heard today from Mark Esper, the, the former secretary of defense, who spoke with my colleague David Weston on Balance of Power to say that he supports the MiGs. He wants to figure out a way to do it, but he said there might be something in greater need. That the tragedy that that is unfolding right now in Ukraine is one of the indiscriminate shelling and bombardment of Ukrainian cities by Russia. And most of that, it appears, is not occurring through airstrikes, but through uh, ground-based artillery, cruise missiles, etc. So I think what we need to do is figure out a way to tackle that issue. And there have been a number of ideas out there Obviously, we need to continue to provide the Ukrainians with anti-tank and anti-air missiles. 
an idea was floated to provide them with uh, S-300 and S-400, which are Russian-built, medium-sized uh, air defense systems. That would be very helpful as well. Congressman Krishnamurthy, are those the kind of weapons that you would send to Ukraine now? That general family, I mean, there's there's other types of weapons uh, out there like SA-8s and SA-10s uh, that are surface-to-air systems that uh, even some of our NATO allies possess within their inventories yeah. from their Soviet-era days. There are a number of options. Again, we have an incredible uh, you know, De- Department of Defense uh, as well as an intelligence community that's working hand-in-glove to kind of figure out how do we do this. Um, I think that what we are telling them, uh, and again, I don't think they need this message. I think the Biden administration is capably handling this, but uh, speed is of the essence. Speed is of the essence because the Russians, what we also heard from CIA Director Burns. Congressman, I wish I had more time. Raj Krishnamurthy, thank you for being with us on Bloomberg Sound On to get the ball rolling here. Illinois' 8th Congressional District speaking to America on Bloomberg Radio. And coming up, we assemble the panel. Bloomberg Politics contributor Rick Davis here with Joel Rubin. This is Bloomberg. Face it, your business is unique. It faces challenges and risks that are specific to your industry and to the skills you and your team bring to every challenge. You need experienced insurance professionals. The Hartford accepts the challenge. The Hartford understands that protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can help provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-sized companies like yours to easily manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford faces any challenge to deliver innovative, customizable solutions that your industry and your unique company demand. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Meet Gary. Gary's about to become an Einstein in an instant. Whoa, Einstein hair. I like it. That's right, Gary, because you're using Salesforce powered by Einstein AI to connect data, predict business trends, generate personalized content, and wow customers. I do feel a lot smarter. Because you're not just Gary anymore. You're Gary, empowered by Einstein AI. Did you hear that, team? I'm an Einstein. Oh, can I get a selfie? The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Reviewing Ukraine headlines on the terminal is a doom scroll today. Ukraine-Russia trade warnings over gas flows. Some evacuations continue ahead of deadline. Russian inflation takes off as sanctions bite and attacks on health facilities in Ukraine kill 10 World Health Organization says that's referring uh, to the apparent uh, bombing that we were discussing a little while ago with the congressman from Illinois uh, of a maternity hospital, Mariupol. There's some tough stuff here as we assemble the panel and review what we just discussed with the congressman. Bloomberg Politics contributor and Republican strategist Rick Davis is with us, along with Joel Rubin, former Deputy Assistant Secretary of State served in the Bush and Obama administrations, co-host of the Really Americans New Foreign Policy podcast, Warning Shot. It's great to have both of you guys here. Rick, uh, we've been talking about the MiGs since last week. In fact, you first presented some of the complications uh, that officials uh, were going to have to deal with uh, long before this was on the front page. This is a real story now. Vice President Kamala Harris is in Warsaw 
The administration says that's not her agenda, but clearly this is something that needs to be discussed here, and Pentagon officials are doing so. Knowing the potential risk involved, is it the right thing to follow the polls and take those jets to Ukraine? Well, it's just the issue of escalation or de-escalation. And from these uh, intelligence community uh, talks on Capitol Hill this week, it's pretty clear that they were kind of taking a stance that de-escalation is – is the approach that we should try to take that we you know try to keep going tit for tat with uh, uh, Putin could be uh, a critical issue and um, so it doesn't surprise me that uh, uh, I'm sure the Polish authorities thought they were doing the right thing by offering yeah. us the jets and we turned them down so it, it it looks a little sloppy for the first time in this administration's conduct of the war it looks like we really weren't sure what the outcome was going to be um, lots of different options, as Secretary Esper said earlier on the program with David Weston, and mm-hmm. I, I just hope we're pursuing all good options uh, if, if indeed the de-escalation strategy is the one that the administration is pursuing. Should the administration, Joel, be trying to close the deal on this, or is it too dangerous? Well, it is certainly risky, and there, there is danger to it. Uh, the administration is doing everything it can to support uh, the Ukrainian military's ability to defend itself and, and uh, frankly, uh, there's an assessment out today that Russia has not dominated or taken total control of the sky. So it's an open question, but uh, certainly uh, supporting Poland uh, it would have been optimal. There's a desire to have that be done so that MiGs do get in the hands of the Ukrainian uh, Air Force, which was decimated at the beginning of the war. And I, I agree with Rick. This is sort of the first operational hiccup that we're seeing. And mm-hmm. this is the nitty gritty stuff. And no one wants escalation. Uh, but certainly the, the kind of indiscriminate bombing that we're seeing day in, day out, uh, such as you described it, the front end of the show is just intolerable uh, and and, um, and and continuing to, to provide that kind of support to the Ukrainian well, military to prevent that is key. Doesn't look like it's going to be ending anytime soon, Rick. It could get a lot worse still in the days ahead. With that said, and the congressman's suggestion that we start preparing the insurgency now, what else do we need to get into the country? Well, obviously, equipment, right? And, mm-hmm. and, and that's going to be critical even this, in this you know, current stage of the fighting. These, the Ukrainians just need more battlement in order to uh, offset the Russian advantage of n- numbers and, and equipment. So that's number one. Number two is keeping that political leadership alive, right? It's incredibly important in an insurgency that um, they have the kind of telegenic leadership that they're getting from uh, yeah. President Zelensky. And if anything happens to him... It would definitely be uh, a major setback, but That's I think right. we've got to believe what uh, the intelligence uh, CIA director said, uh, that Putin's doubling down. And so this war is a long way away from, from entering into an insurgency. Joel, does that sound uh, like a greater air war to you, or we see tanks rolling into cities, say, this weekend? You know, I'm hearing from administration officials that there may be up to 90% left of Putin's ordinance in, in the in stock, so they, they have a lot of of, of uh, gunfire left, a lot of powder uh, left. I, I'm not saying exactly the way I wanted to say it, but basically, there's a nightmare scenario up ahead where Putin can continue to fire indiscriminately for a very long time. The question is, to what end? At what cost to him? Uh, they're feeling the squeeze in Moscow and across Russia. These sanctions are powerful. They are damaging the, the Russian economy. The oil embargo announced by the U.S. is, is another level level of, of pain on Russia. Uh, as Rick described, the continuing supply of the Ukrainian military and the Ukrainians are fighting incredibly effectively with what they have. Sure. Uh, Russia's feeling the squeeze. So 
Uh, it's going to be more pain, though, and Putin certainly has backed himself into a corner where he uh, he understands that he is he is trapped in this dynamic now, and he may very well go much more heavy to try to get get uh, break this stalemate. Rick, there are reports now in our final minute here uh, about a breakdown in negotiations over the budget on uh, Capitol Hill. Are they going to get the Ukrainian money out this week? Yeah, I think the Ukrainian money and the, the omnibus will get through um, kind of as planned. <laughs> I mean, it's a little more rancor than it should be, yeah. but I don't think they're going to skip over that. I think the, the loser in all this is the administration's effort to try and get additional COVID funds. Just too difficult for both. They're ours yanking and it out, right? They're going back to the Rules Committee, according to the Speaker of the House. Yeah, that's been kicked out, and, and I think the rest of it will go back uh, you know, wow. and pass through in, in due time, certainly by Saturday, and, and that'll be seen as a bipartisan effort. Yeah. But that helps the medicine go down, Rick. Pull the COVID money out and it passes. Correct. Rick Davis and Joel Rubin with us, our panel for today and for the hour. They'll be back a little bit later on. Coming up, we jump into the oil patch with Senator Bill Cassidy of Louisiana and take a look at what exactly is keeping domestic drillers from producing more. It might not be as simple as the politicians are saying. We'll check markets and traffic on the way. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Broadcasting live from our nation's capital, Bloomberg 99.1, to New York, Bloomberg 1130, to Boston, Bloomberg 1061, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Business App and BloombergRadio.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew. Operation Warp Speed worked for a COVID vaccine. How about for oil? Republican Senator Bill Cassidy is calling for that very thing, to speed domestic production, more drilling following the Russian oil ban. But but wait, didn't the president say drillers could just start today if they wanted? We're joined now by Senator Bill Cassidy, Republican from Louisiana. Senator, welcome back to Bloomberg. Hey, it is good to be with Bloomberg. I, you, know, you have a great program, and I'm pleased to be part of it. Well, that's great. I know you supported banning Russian oil, Senator. I know you want to see more domestic production. How, though, do we fill the gap in the near term, 700,000 barrels a day? I know it's not a lot, but is it possible to do that by working here in the U.S.? Yes, it is. Um, um, so, so one thing we propose is an operation warp speed for permitting. Just like for vaccine development, all the relevant agencies were brought into one room, and they were not allowed to slow walk. If this didn't work for this agency because of another agency's actions, it was resolved there. We need to do that for oil production. One example, obviously the Biden administration killed the Keystone XL pipeline the first week he was in office. That slows the transfer of oil from Canada to our refineries. If we could permit increased transit by boat or by rail, then, then we could at least partially make up for that which we're currently not getting, what we will soon not be getting from Russia. What kind of a so timeline are you looking way. at there? Are we weeks away from making that happen or months away, Senator? Well, a couple of things. The, the, uh, I don't recall the, the, the latest version. I, I haven't seen that which the Biden administration put out. But first, the congressional proposals to ban oil would take place in either 15 or 30 days, according yeah. to the different proposals. This was 45 days from what I under. That's based on our reporting, not Got on it. what the White House has said. If it's 45 days, and that tells us that we have seven weeks before that runs out, if you will. Yep. Um, but so, so what is really there for, what is the tank capacity and what is the barge capacity that we could begin to use to bring that 
oil from Canada down to our Gulf Coast ports. I love now, this granular level of detail. You can do that detail. in 45 days. You just got to get the relevant agencies in the same room. Right. One of you can't slow walk. You all got to walk out of here with a decision made. And so that should be able to be done in those uh, seven weeks. The president made the point yesterday that oil companies do not need permission to start drilling more. He said 90 percent of leases are on public lands, 9,000 unused drilling permits, Senator. If that's true, what are they waiting for? Yeah, that's that's just that is a total misrepresentation of that which is out there. And it's part of a pattern of being disingenuous by this administration. Explain Um, how. You may have the lease. But you got let's just take a lease on the Outer Continental Shelf off of Louisiana. You have the lease, but then you have to do seismic. You have to get a permit to do seismic to make sure that the oil reserve is that which you think it to be or that you have a complete understanding. They can slow walk that, that permit of the seismic. There are multiple permits required after you get a lease. So they do need to ask for permission then. Absolutely. And that's what's so frustrating. The president is deliberately misleading the American people about something which they're paying $5 a gallon, and he's misleading them uh, of gasoline, and he's misleading them as to their efforts. Let's be honest with the American people, because until you're honest, you can't begin to have real solutions. So how long would that process take if, if Cassidy Drilling wanted to start tomorrow? You've got the permit. What other permissions would you need? How long would it take before you had drills in the ground? I spoke to the woman in charge of a major oil company's drilling in the Outer Continental Shelf, which takes longer, by the way, than it would if you're fracking in West Texas or New Mexico. She said if she had all her permits done tomorrow, she could complete the project in 12 months. Now, that's not after seven weeks, but that's before, you know, that's seven months. That's before, um, that's pretty good. Uh, Excuse me, 12 months. Mm -hmm. And now if you're going to start fracking, you can actually, if you open up federal lands in, in uh, again, Texas or New Mexico, more New Mexico than Texas, to begin to frack, you can get that going in seven weeks or, or, or two months. That can happen more quickly. So, but then you need your permits for the pipelines, for your, uh, you know, just a whole array of things. Yeah. The administration can make this happen if they put everybody in a room and we don't walk out until differences are resolved. We need an operation warp speed for energy production. Are you putting that uh, into legislation that will get support from your colleagues? Do we see uh, a legislative response to this on Capitol Hill? Absolutely. We're going to release some policy guidelines this week. Um, that, uh, and we already are speaking to my both Democrat and Republican colleagues. You need 60 votes in the Senate to pass something, so you're going to need both parties engaged, uh, but 60 votes. And we are releasing it this week, and we um, uh, will begin. And we've started, already started to draft the legislation, but, of course, would receive uh, input from colleagues as to how to make it you know, better or, or, or more palatable, if you will. If you want to ban Russian oil, why not also, while we're at it, ban Venezuelan oil, Iranian oil, Saudi Arabian oil? Because that could be what replaces it. Well, so, you know, obviously for geopolitical reasons, we are trying to isolate Russia. Uh, and... Um, uh, so I get why, why, we, why we ban Russian oil. Now, they're going to probably just begin to sell this oil to China. And so whoever China is buying from will uh, sell to us now. Yep. So there's going to be, in the intermediate term, I say intermediate, three to four months, 
a rebalancing of where oil goes around the world. Now, probably the Chinese, being the business folks they are, will buy the Russian oil at a discount. Mm -hmm. Uh, So Russia will not get as much money because they know there's only one market to buy it, the Chinese, and so they will pay a discount. So we can anticipate that. But that will free up oil from someplace else to come to our refineries, and that's good for the American consumer. I know we're tight for time, Senator. I understand there could be an omnibus budget passed in time uh, before the deadline on Friday night. Do you see that happening? Yes, I do, but it's certainly a short term, if not the omnibus. And if it rolls over into the wee hours of Friday, that may occur. Yeah. Uh, but nonetheless, I do imagine it passing. Senator, I know that you helped to craft the now law, the infrastructure law, and a lot of the money for these projects will be unlocked in this omnibus budget. Will people start seeing work in their neighborhoods? Well, they should already have seen work already because large tranches of the money have been released. But there will be an ongoing release, and it will be part of this as well. Let me point out, since we're talking about energy, there is a lot of things in the the, uh, bipartisan infrastructure bill that relate to carbon mitigation. So folks who are concerned, wait a second, we're producing oil and gas, uh, what about emissions? There is in the infrastructure bill billions to, for carbon capture sequestration, for the pipelines to enable direct air capture, hydrogen hubs, et cetera. But we need permitting reform for that, too. Mm-hmm. Unless we have permitting reforms, it's going to take years for these to get off the shelf. We need Operation Warp Speed for permitting reform. Fascinating take on the work to be done. Senator Bill Cassidy, thank you so much for your time again today on Bloomberg. Thank you. Face it, your business is unique. It faces challenges and risks that are specific to your industry and to the skills you and your team bring to every challenge. You need experienced insurance professionals. The Hartford accepts the challenge. The Hartford understands that protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can help provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-sized companies like yours to easily manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford faces any challenge to deliver innovative, customizable solutions that your industry and your unique company demand. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Meet Gary. Gary's about to become an Einstein in an instant. Whoa, Einstein hair. I like it. That's right, Gary, because you're using Salesforce powered by Einstein AI to connect data, predict business trends, generate personalized content, and wow customers. I do feel a lot smarter. Because you're not just Gary anymore. You're Gary, empowered by Einstein AI. Did you hear that, team? I'm an Einstein. Oh, can I get a selfie? The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. All right, so the senator said a lot there, accusing the administration of being disingenuous about this issue, particularly about drilling. The argument spilled over into the White House briefing room today with Press Secretary Jen Psaki. An interesting exchange here with the Fox News reporter, Peter Ducey, remembering that the president referred to 9,000 unused drilling permits, said they could get to this tomorrow. Here's Jen Psaki. First of all, the... Nearly 60% of leased acres remain non-producing. That's a lot uh, in the range of 20 million acres. So there are 9,000 
uh, unused approved permits to drill in. They should not require that. Should not require us inviting them to do that. They should do well, that themselves. They the, the additional permits. So would the president? What additional permits do they need? There's no. The, they have the leases are there. The permits are there. I don't think they need an embroidered invitation to drill. That is, they are oil companies. It's what is what is happening? What is happening? But what is ha the permits have been granted, Peter? What is permit, what is happening mm -hmm. here? Is that we are seeing these are private sector companies. We recognize that. Many of them are making record profits. We see that. That is all publicly available data. They have pressure to return cash to investors and their shareholders. What we're saying right now is there is a war. We're asking them to, to uh, go uh, use the, the approved permits, use the unused space, and go uh, get more supply out of the ground in our own country. Okay, there's Jen Psaki in the briefing room today. Now, you've heard both sides of this. You heard from the White House. You heard from the Republican senator from Louisiana. We wanted to talk with somebody who's been researching this independently. Steve Ellis, the president of the group Taxpayers for Common Sense, an independent, nonpartisan voice, as they say, for taxpayers. His take on this from his perspective. It goes beyond leases and permits and you know, are all of those going to be good wells or not? And, sure. and the fact of the matter is, is that they're, they are squatting on a lot of permitted um, projects, particularly onshore, that you can't make them drill. You can't make them drill. But if you're the administration saying that they can drill any time they want, they can start tomorrow. Is that an honest statement? In some cases, yes. Um, and, you know, I thought it was interesting with Senator Cassidy. I mean, he was saying, you know, it takes about seven weeks for, um, you know, he's talking about West Texas, which has got to be private land, not public land. But then, um, you know, or then it takes up to a year for offshore. Well, right now, particularly the, the, the oil industry and their advocates in Congress, um, you know, they're going to say whatever's going to be advancing in the best interest of the oil and gas industry. And that's flexibility. And that is let them get whatever they want in their pocket, and then maybe they'll drill. Do you have a sense of how much red tape is involved, if I'm using the right term, for an oil company to begin drilling on leased land, something that's already permitted? Is there any more red tape? I mean, certainly there are you know, requirements, and some of that's about making sure that people are protected from long-term liabilities and that you, know, you don't have the next deep water horizon or you don't have you know, leaks and spills on public lands. And so it's not clear to say exactly that there's all these other hurdles because people are at different stages of the race. Steve Ellis, taxpayers for common sense there. So lo and behold, it's not as simple as the politicians are telling you. Interesting, when I was talking to Steve, he referred to a Bloomberg story, an interview that we had uh, a month ago with the chief executive officer of Pioneer, Scott Sheffield, Bloomberg TV, when he told us about his reluctance to drill more, to produce more, even if asked. No, uh, Pioneer will stay with our plan. We announced a CapEx plan, as I said, regardless of whether it's $150 oil, $200 oil, or $100 oil, we're not going to change our growth plans. It's going to be up to um, Saudi and UAE. They have a pact with OPEC+. Plus. Uh, they probably are about the only two countries that could change that, uh, and they'll have to decide what to do under that scenario. If, if Russian oil is sanctioned or if Russia decides to... to uh, stop exporting, 
then it's going to be up to the Saudis and UAs to decide whether or not to break the pack and increase production yeah. under those guidelines. All right, so there you go. That's February 22nd. Scott Sheffield, who came back on Bloomberg today and spoke with Kriti Gupta at the Sierra Week conference down in Houston, same issue, same story. Here he is today. It's important that we that the administration reengages with OPEC and especially Saudi Arabia and UAE because they have the only excess of capacity in the world today. So why do you think there is that disconnect between Saudi Arabia, the UAE, there was a report that they're not even willing to take President Biden's calls this morning. Why do you think there's that disconnect between the Biden administration and the Middle East? It probably goes back to the Khashoggi incident uh, and some of the remarks that Biden said while he was running against Trump. Okay, still not going to drill and still questioning the administration's public stand on all of this, pointing to the Middle East. You want more oil? Call the Saudis. As I see the headline, Saudi and Emirati leaders decline calls with Biden during Ukraine crisis, as Creedy just mentioned. So where are we going from here if we need more domestic oil? We reassemble the panel. Rick Davis is with us, Bloomberg Politics contributor, along with Joel Rubin, former Deputy Assistant Secretary of State, served in both the Obama and Bush administrations on political, military, Near Eastern, and legislative affairs. Thanks for both of you being here. Rick, what do you make of this? We're hearing different stories that don't line up from both sides of the aisle. And then when you hear from the drillers themselves, they say, hey, look, we've already been burned. We're giving our money back to shareholders. How do you get more domestic oil in this world? You know, I thought uh, Senator Cassidy had the best suggestion I've heard. And and that is to like get everybody who's a producer in a room in the White House and lock the door and come out with a deal. I mean, President Biden did that with the beef industry, and we kind of laughed about that, right? I mean, it's like, holy You're smokes, right. beef providers, they're going to, a scintilla of the economy under that versus the energy providers who, in you a crisis, could chain. really help the country. Uh-huh. And, and so, like, why not do for the energy industry what you were willing to do for the beef industry? Joel, who's telling the truth here? Can drillers start tomorrow based on what you were just hearing from, uh, from a Republican, a Democrat, and a researcher somewhere in between? Or do we need to restart this conversation and be a little more honest about it? Well, you know, Joe, I mean, we're going to hit record levels of domestic oil production this coming year and next year as well, and according to Energy Information Administration. So, you know, there's an estimate that we'll need 700,000 barrels to be replaced. There are multiple sources for that. There's going to be a demand. I don't see why suppliers who claim to want the market to work don't want to participate in the market right now. Uh, there's a huge new opportunity available. There are other countries that are out there. There's Canada as well. Uh, certainly, you saw a little news break on Venezuela regarding release of a, a couple of American citizens. Who knows? Yeah, that could right. be potentially something as well. So, uh, I, I think it's I think it's a little. Maybe they're looking for a, a subsidy to uh, to produce oil. But uh, as Jen Psaki said, it's wartime. You know, in the Iraq War, we got used to not paying for it. Uh, Americans got used to supplementals and on the credit card. And maybe it's good to have a little bit of honesty that this is going to cost a little bit for people, including the oil sector. Rick, it's been suggested uh, by some others, not the Cassidy proposal, but some others on Capitol Hill, that the president invoke the Defense Production Act uh, and get uh, oil producers moving. Would, Would that work? to uh, implement the Defense Production Act to get oil producers moving. This, this is in their self-interest. Most of these guys, I mean, to the individual, 
are patriots. It needs to be put in the context of what are they doing for the country, the world, uh, democracy. These are folks who want to support those kind of values. And I think values are why we're in this discussion to begin with. So why in the world wouldn't this president in common cause with these industries uh, uh, do something instead of trying to force U.S. industries to do something through the Defense Production Act? I think a little bit of goodwill goes a long way at this point. To be fair, by the way, uh, you know, you heard from the CEO of Pioneer, and that's a good example of, of a shale driller. Uh, we heard as well, though, from Kriti Gupta's interview with EQT, this the, the biggest producer of natural gas, uh, earlier at that same conference who was ready to keep drilling and do more and provide more. So I know it's not as simple as well as just saying that drillers don't want to drill. Uh, but, Joel, should uh, to... Rick's point, the president have have a big confab at the White House, bring big oil in, bring the small drillers in and try to get everybody in a room. Are you laughing already? Yeah, I am. I mean, I, you know, oil's well over $100 a barrel. I think they have enough profit incentive to go for it right now. Huh. If that's what it takes, I'm sure that's that'll be what it takes. But uh, for goodness sake, uh, uh, you know, it's Rick's point. This is a, a national emergency. It's a crisis. We're all sacrificing. We're paying more at the pump right now. So mm-hmm. why can't the oil companies just get off the dime and do it and not always worry about being treated uh, expressly, fairly, nicely, kindly, whatnot? I think I think they can handle uh, getting a move on. We heard about this from Kevin McCarthy today, the minority leader in the House. I wish we did something more. You cannot just shut off Russian gas and not produce in America. I know the president looks to try to go to Iran or Venezuela. That's one dictator for another just trading it. I think you feel that same way, Rick, that doing business with the Saudis, Venezuelans or, or Iranians is really not that much of an improvement here. Uh, so that leaves us with very few options. Should the president, when he announced the Russian oil ban, also have done more than simply refer to the existing permits and, in fact, codified the need for more domestic oil in, in, in some other more formal way? Yeah, I think presidential leadership matters, right? That's why he's got the bully pulpit. And going to the industry and putting the attention on them and saying, now's the time to pump. I mean, you know, I can't imagine he thinks at night, you know, drill, baby, drill. But I think that's the kind of message he needs to be sending out to that industry. And you're right, uh, Joe. Uh, You know, we're talking about a murderer's row of people who are going to, quote, bail out democracy, um, you know, while they're oppressing their own people. I mean, like, at some point, we have to be consistent. We're trying to help free people of Ukraine. We can't turn to the despots of the world to try and financially bail us out. So I think I think values matter and we cannot apply our foreign policy, especially related to hydrocarbons, you know, without a look on the value side. Well, look, there's a lot there, uh, Joel. Should we not only be discussing then uh, creating enough domestic oil for to, to replace the Russian gas here? Should we be talking about creating enough oil to sell to Europe as well? So Russia is out of the business when it comes to the Western world. Well, I'm with, with Rick here. If you really want to put the despots out of power, we need to start moving quickly off of oil because that's where the oil comes from. Despotic regimes, except for, say, for a few countries, and get more into the electricity grid providing for our, our fuel for our cars. We need to move more to renewables. You need to move more on efficiency. Absolutely. If you want to get out of this trap, 
of looking to despots to fuel our economy, we need to move to cleaner energy, not get more sucked into the oil economy. That is a dead end when it comes to promoting democracy. Where's the line on that, though, Rick? I mean, there's going to be pain at some point with, when this thing rolls over, right? There's got to be some last gasp for petroleum. And people who are watching this market and, and looking at the investments that have been made in renewable energy say it's not here yet. Yeah, that's right. And, and we're talking about what are we going to do in the next 12 months, not in the next 12 years. Uh-huh. And so, sure, we're on a trajectory to have a cleaner environment. And, you know, believe me, I'm, I'm for that. I think, you know, this solves a lot of long term issues, but that is a longer term play between now and, and when we solve the problem. What is the riddle with Vladimir Putin and keeping him pinned down? And that means we have to supply the West. Uh, not only us, but the Western Europeans with enough hydrocarbons to be able to stick to this, to, to their guns. The only thing that could end our resolve is economic collapse within our own coalition. Huh. And so it's really vitally important that we solve this problem so that we can stay tough on Vladimir Putin. There was a time, Joel, when people figured $100 a barrel, $150 a barrel crude would uh-huh. force that transition. Right. Are we right. beyond that now? Well, I sure hope not, because it certainly should. You can't. It's not sustainable to have five, six, seven dollar gallon uh, gas. And we've seen a spike from price gouging. Quite frankly, uh, uh, there is a significant c- capital constraint uh, the, from these companies. They're not investing in the way that they should, despite hundred dollar plus barrel per oil. So uh, the onus is really on these companies to do what they're supposed to do and play by the market rules and not always look to the government to bail them out and push them whenever there's a national crisis. Yeah. Midterms are looming, Rick. Uh, Kevin McCarthy, I'm sure, would love to see more domestic oil bring gas prices down. But that's that that could be the nail in the coffin for the Democratic majority. No. Well, look, I mean, the Democratic majority's got to figure out what their message is going into the midterms because they will not be a majority unless they do. Now, they're all taken off tomorrow to go figure that out. And I, I wish them luck, right. because if they don't crack the code on gas prices and inflation, none of this is really going to matter to them as leaders. So what's the message as you head into the midterms, Joel Rubin? If you're a Democrat preparing a campaign or or messaging around this election season, you want to be pro-renewable energy. You want to be pro-climate change. Even though Build Back Better didn't happen, there are good ideas on the table. But you also don't want people to be paying $6 a gallon. How do you have it all? Absolutely. First and foremost, you point out the economy is booming, that job growth is, is at the highest it's been in decades, that the unemployment rate is extremely low, wages are going up, and that the, this issue of gas prices is price gouging from the companies, that we have a national security uh, crisis that we are handling, and that there needs to be a transition to renewables. And that's what you vote for when you vote for Democrats, as opposed to being stuck in the oil economy and being at the mercy of despots which is what the Republicans are offering every cycle. How do you respond to that, Rick? I, that's why Joel gets the big bucks. He's got those talking <laughs> points down perfectly. Look, it's, it, let's, let's decide. If, if inflation isn't the number one issue in America today, then you, Joel's probably right. You can have that conversation. But until you lick that, and what is the biggest driver within inflation? Energy costs. So, you know, unless there's a better explanation and like, hey, you know, take your medicine now because someday you're going to have an electric car and you don't have to worry about all this gas gouging. It is. Um, this administration owns the economy, as Joel said. Yep. And one of the parts of that economy right now that's got people really Christ in a crisis mode is inflation. Totally agree with that. Uh, I yes. loved this conversation. You will not hear this conversation anywhere else. Rick Davis, Joel Rubin, I thank you for being our panel today. As we turn to Women's History Month and our daily update now from Bloomberg's Renita Young. 
On this day in women's history in 1959, Ruth Handler, a co-founder of Mattel, introduces Barbie to the world. She brought it to crowds at the American International Toy Fair in New York. The inspiration for the doll began when Handler was traveling in Europe and her 15-year-old daughter, Barbara, spotted a German Lily doll. But as the years went on, Barbie would be mocked as outdated and sexist and criticized for promoting a largely white, gendered image of beauty with an unrealistic body image. But in 1980, Mattel started to become more inclusive when it introduced the first black Barbie. And today, Barbie's dolls come in more than 20 skin tones, close to 100 hair colors, a dozen eye colors, and five body types. Those changes served Barbie well because in 2020, Barbie generated its best sales growth in two decades. Renita Young, Bloomberg Radio. Renita, thanks. We'll do it again tomorrow on the fastest hour in politics. Thanks to Senator Bill Cassidy, Congressman Raj Krishnamoorthy, and our panel, of course, Rick and Joel. Smart Talk will check traffic and markets on the way. This is Bloomberg. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com.